read a story this week about a goose who was wounded and landed in the backyard with some chickens. He played with the chickens and ate with the chickens. And after a while, the goose began to think that he was a chicken. One day, a flight of geese came over, migrating to their home. They gave a honk up in the sky, and he heard it. And the story went on to say that something stirred in this goose. Something called him to the skies. He began to flap the wings that he hadn't used in a long time, and he rose a few feet in the air. And then he stopped, and he settled back again into the mud of the barnyard. The story concluded by saying that the goose heard the call, but he settled for less. I wonder how many of us have done this in our lives. How many of us have heard Jesus call us? We felt a stirring in our hearts, and we began to go toward him, only to back off at the very last minute. We heard the call, but we settled for less. You know, when Jesus calls us, it, it's something that sort of takes hold of us. We don't invent the call. It, it comes to us and it summons us, if you will. The prophet Jeremiah was called to prophesy to Judah and the surrounding nations. And he described this call as a fire shut up in his bones. Have you ever felt this call? Have you ever felt Jesus calling you to himself or calling you to serve him in a particular way? Today, I want you to understand that for all of us, Jesus is calling. And you and I, we must decide how we'll respond. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18. It's page 735 in your pew Bibles. We're going to look at Jesus' call. When you find that, I ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Matthew 4 and 18 says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and they immediately left the boat and their father and followed him. The title of the message this morning is When Jesus Calls. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Father, we want our lives to bring honor and glory to your name. We want to hear Jesus when, we, when he calls and we want to answer. Today we ask you to speak to us through your word to draw us ever closer to you. Help us, Father, to, to have ears that hear and a heart that would respond. Fill me today with your Holy Spirit and give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. And help me to speak your words and your ways for your glory. We love you, Lord. Help us to live lives that demonstrate you have been good to us, that we have received your grace, and that we do love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We ask all of this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. At the start of Jesus' earthly ministry, he goes and begins to call disciples unto himself. And when he goes to them and begins to call them, they have a choice to make. They can stay where they are and they can stay as they are or they can follow Jesus. Now, obviously, they can't stay and follow at the same time. 
from the way you see it, they were doing something. So they couldn't actually accidentally follow Jesus. In order to, to go where Jesus was going and to do what Jesus wanted them to do, they had to intentionally and decisively answer when Jesus called. And what was true of them is true for us today. I must intentionally, decisively answer when Jesus calls. And I think this is an important concept for us to grasp. When Jesus calls, we, we do something. We have to respond to Him in one way or the other. And to answer Him, to, to follow Him, it's not something that happens accidentally. It is something that must be done intentionally. When we begin to follow Jesus, we make the decision, a, a willful, intentional decision that I am going to follow Jesus. It is also a, a decisive answer that we make because we have to do something. Right? We can't sit where we are and stay like we are and claim to be following Jesus. Because when He calls us, He's always calling us to something different. To be something more. To go where He wants us to go. And we have to, to decisively do the things that Jesus wants us to do. So how do we intentionally and decisively answer when Jesus calls? Well, first, we have to turn to follow Jesus. Jesus said, follow me. Verse 20, it said that those that he talked to, Simon and Andrew, they immediately left their nets and they followed him. In verse 21, he called James and John and they immediately left their nets and they followed him. Right? They had to, to make that decision to turn from what they were doing to turn to go where Jesus wanted them to go. And when you see the, what Jesus calls people to do as he follows him, what you realize is he wasn't interested in half-hearted followers. Right? Jesus wasn't interested in large crowds. The passage I read at the beginning of the service there was a large crowd following Jesus, and so he explained the cost of discipleship. And he explained the cost of discipleship knowing that many people would not follow him. That many people could not, would not pay the price that was necessary to follow him. Jesus was not interested in the, qual in the quantity of disciples nearly as much as he was interested in the quality of his disciples. He wasn't as interested in there being a large crowd as he was in there being people who were devoted to him. Jesus would rather have 12 people who were fully devoted to doing his will than to have thousands who were just nominal Christians playing the part. And as I think about what does it mean to follow Jesus? What did it mean for them to follow Jesus? What would it mean for us? I think there are at least two traits that go along with this. First is, it follows a way of life. When I first outlined this passage, I, I, I was going to put it as more of a kind of like spend time with Jesus. But they weren't just being called to spend time with Jesus, were they? 
That's not what they did. They didn't leave the nets and spend time with Jesus and then go back. They, they left their nets. They left their old way of life. They were going to, to make following Jesus the, the mark of their lives. That was all that they were going to do. For us, what's important to understand is there is a huge difference between visiting someone and following them as a way of life. For instance, we spend a huge, diff, a huge amount of time through the year with, with the in-laws. We, we go to see them for a week, usually each year. We spend holidays with them. They come and see us. Maybe we try to go and see them. But in every instance, what we do is we, we visit them and then we leave. We don't live with them as a way of life. And often what we do is, when we think about following Jesus, we think about visiting Jesus. Right? We, we go and we pray in the morning, and we read our Bible maybe at some point throughout the day, but then we get on with our real life. Then we go on and, and we do the things that we do, and then we, the next day we go and we pray again, and we read our Bible again, and we go to church on Sundays and Wednesdays. And, and what we really do, though, we're not following Jesus as a way of life. We're visiting Him. Maybe it's daily visits. Maybe it's weekly visits. But that's all we're really doing. And now, don't get me wrong. I, I, there is an importance reading our Bibles on a daily basis. There is importance in praying on a daily basis. But if we spend time with Jesus in prayer in the morning, then after that we really don't acknowledge His existence. All we're doing is, is visiting with Him throughout our day. We're not really walking with Him throughout our lives. I believe that Jesus wants more from us than a daily visit. I believe He wants to be a part of our lives no matter where we are or what we're doing. I believe He wants us to go about our, our tasks every day with the, the thought and the, rea and the realization that He is with us. And if we are going to follow Jesus as a way of life, we have to, to train ourselves to do that. We have to, to train ourselves to realize that, that Jesus is a part of my life everywhere I go. To understand that, that all that I do is to be done for His glory. That in all things, I am His representative. I am His ambassador. To realize that my job is to represent Him accurately and carefully before a lost and a dying world. Now, our goal isn't necessarily to, to switch activities so that we can go be with Jesus. What we want to do is learn to invite Him into the everyday things that we do. We want to have a constant awareness that Jesus is our companion right there when we do these things. That Jesus is, is with us on the job. That Jesus is with us at the restaurant. That Jesus is with us as we hang out with our friends. That Jesus is with us as we go about our hobbies. That Jesus is with us as we're involved in our relationships. Jesus is everywhere we are. And He's taking a part in everything that we do. And when we begin to realize this and, and embrace this idea, then we are following Jesus as a way of life. The second aspect of following Jesus is that follow means He leads and I follow. 
You know, the disciples didn't know where they were going. Um, from what we can tell, they had very little concept of, of anything. Jesus just said, follow me. And they took off and they followed him. To follow Jesus, it, it means, well, it means to follow him. It means he's the leader and I'm the follower. How many parents have held their child's hand while you walk somewhere and the child didn't want to go? Have you ever had that happen in a grocery store, the park, the, the zoo? Trying to lead the child and they're pulling away and they're arguing and they're fighting and sometimes they'll even break down and just fall to the ground and go limp. And, and there you are holding their hand, trying to, to pull them along to where you know they need to go. Not that Caitlin and Sarah ever did that, but I'm sure other parents have had that happen to them. Right? And when the kids do this, all of this is done in an attempt to keep from going where the parent is leading. And I wonder how many times in our journey with Jesus have we been the stubborn child pulling, jerking, or falling so that we didn't have to go where Jesus was leading us. Right, to follow Jesus means that He leads and I follow. It means that I have to stop being the stubborn child. I cannot pull back and follow Jesus. I cannot argue and follow Jesus. That I must go where He leads me to go. I must follow everywhere that He wants me to go. This is exactly what Jesus wanted from His disciples. It's always what He wanted. I love this passage. Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, Right? If you want to be my follower, here's what you have to do. And, and again, notice the absolute nature of this. If anyone desires to come after me, right? if you want to, this is what you have to do. This isn't what you should do. This isn't what would be best. This is what you must do. Deny yourself. And that's a hard statement, isn't it? I don't like to deny myself. I like to do what I want to do when I want to do it. When Jesus leads me, I have no problem following Him if it's where I want to go. But I can't always do that because Jesus isn't always going to lead me in the path that I want to go on. The same Good Shepherd that leads me to the green pastures leads me through the valley of the shadow of death. That means I have to follow Him in the hard times and in the good times. And in order to do that, I must deny myself. And I must take up my cross daily. Like to take up your cross is just a, an elaboration of deny yourself. It's saying, I am dead to my will and my want. And what Jesus says is what I'm going to do. Where Jesus leads is where I'm going to go. And this isn't a, a once for all decision. We make the decision today, we'll make the decision tomorrow. We'll deny ourselves today, we'll have to deny ourselves tomorrow. So I, I would love to say that it's possible to get into such a place where you never actually have to deny yourself because you're so devoted to doing the will of God. And, and maybe, maybe it is. But I'm going to say for me, I'm not there yet. 
And every week, and every part of my life, there are times where I know what Jesus wants me to do is not what I want me to do. And the only way that I can follow Jesus at that point is to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow Him. You and I, we have to make a decision on a moment-by-moment basis what we're going to do. Will we do our will or will we do Jesus' will? Now, sometimes those are going to line up and that is a beautiful thing. But there are going to be times where it's not. Where I want to go one way and Jesus wants to go another. And at that point, there is a decision that must be made. I must choose to follow where He is leading. I choose to say that He is Lord and I am servant. He is the leader. I am the follower. And as I choose to do this on a moment-by-moment basis, I am really making following Jesus a way of life. I am following where He leads. Now, these are some pretty intense ideas to follow Jesus as a way of life to to let him lead in every area of my life why would Jesus say that when at times when he said that people did turn and walk away why risk losing followers by issuing such high demands it's because Jesus is not interested in half-hearted followers Jesus understands that A half-hearted follower is not a follower at all. The only way we can follow Him, truly, is to make it a way of life. The only way we can follow Him daily is by letting Him lead in, in everything. When Jesus calls to us, He clearly lays out what He expects to us. And then He gives us a decision. Follow or don't follow. And if we want to follow Jesus, we have to give an intentional, decisive answer. Yes, I will follow you. Secondly, I have to cooperate with transformation from Jesus. Turn to follow Jesus, but then I have to cooperate with transformation from Jesus. Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you. He was going to make them into something. He was going to do a work in their lives that would make them different than what they were right then. If you've read through the New Testament, you know that the disciples in Acts were very different people than the disciples in the Gospels. Not because they were actually different people, but because there's been such a dramatic change in their lives. The the fearful people in the Gospels gave way to bold people in Acts. That the people who, who often didn't understand what Jesus had to say were very wise people in Acts. The people who, who made terrible decisions at times in the Gospels made, made great decisions in Acts. Jesus made them into something different. We see this also in the book of Acts with the Pharisee named Saul. When Jesus called him, he was a persecutor of the church. But after Jesus got a hold of him, he was a person who went out and planted church and promoted the gospel. Jesus made a dramatic change in Paul's life. 
And that's what Jesus plans to do in every one who answers his call. It, it is important for us to understand that Jesus loves us just as we are. We sing the song, Just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. When Jesus calls us, he's not calling us to clean up our lives and then come to him. He's not saying, fix yourself and then I'll take you. He's saying, come as you are. But understand, Jesus loves us too much to leave us that way. His plans for our life are greater than the way we currently live. He is always calling us to a higher way of life, to a better way of life. He is calling us ultimately to be like Him. To be like Jesus requires quite a bit of transformation in our lives. Jesus works to change those who answer His call. And when Jesus works to make this change, we, again, we must respond. And what happens is the, the Spirit of God will work through the Word of God to help transform us into the image of the Son of God. And when the Spirit of God reveals an area of our life that needs to be changed, we have a choice to make about how we'll respond. And from my reading in Scripture, I believe there are probably three, three ways. One is anger and rebellion. In the book of Acts, we're told the story about a deacon named Stephen. He was arrested and brought before the Jewish Sanhedrin to explain what he had been saying about Jesus. Stephen takes the opportunity to, to preach about Jesus starting basically at the beginning. And he does a quick survey of the Jewish history from Abraham's life up into Jesus. And when he gets to the end, we're told that the people responded. Look at what it says. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. Now keep that thought in your mind. And they gnashed at him with their teeth. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran at him in one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. The idea that they were cut to the heart meant that they were convicted. The Holy Spirit dealt with them about something that was wrong in their lives. They, they knew that they were not right. They knew that their lives were not in sync with the will and the want and the word of God. And rather than bringing their lives into conformity with God's word, they became angry. They had no intention of submitting to Jesus. They had no intention of cooperating with transformation from Jesus. They were angry and they rebelled against God's work in their lives. And when we're trying to, to grow into the likeness of Jesus, anger, rebellion, that's a temptation. Right? Because Jesus isn't always going to work on us on things we want to be worked on. At times there are going to be things in our lives we like about ourselves that Jesus says need to be changed. Anger at that. Rebellion at that. It's a very real response that we can have. Another possible response is, is apathy. Those who are apathetic, they just don't care. They're not necessarily mad. They just really, it doesn't matter to them one way or another. We see this in the book of Ezekiel. 
God says, as for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and the doors of the houses. And they speak to one another. Everyone saying to his brother, please come and hear the word that comes from the Lord. So they come to you as my people and they sit before you as my people and they hear your words. Now, notice up to this point, everything sounds right. Ezekiel went to, to preach and to say what God wanted him to say. And, and as he did, they gathered a crowd. They said, oh, Ezekiel's going to speak. This is great. Let's go hear what Ezekiel has to say. And they went and they sat before Ezekiel like they were the people of God. They, they wanted to hear what he had to say. But they do not do them. For with their mouths they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice, can play well on an instrument, for they hear your words. They do not do them. They wanted to hear what Ezekiel had to say. They, they truly did. They gathered together as though they were devoted to God and they, they said all the right things. They amended Him at the right times. Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! That's right, Ezekiel. And then they got up and they went about their lives just as they were before they came in. They simply did not care what Scripture said. They did not care what God had said to them. They weren't angry. They weren't rebellious. They weren't convicted. It was just something to do. It was a way to be entertained. Their hearts really weren't open to the Word of God. They, they weren't listening for the Spirit of God. They were refusing to cooperate with the change that God wanted to make in their lives. And as we seek to live for Jesus, this is also a temptation for us. Because again, many times we... We're pretty happy with who we are. We're happy with the way that we are. Our lives are, are pretty comfortable. Everything is, is basically okay with our lives. This change is, is going to require effort. It's going to require me to do something. But, but that's just not what I'm willing to do. I'm, I'm happy with me the way that I am. It's great that you feel that devoted to Jesus, but... I just don't feel the conviction, the weight of that desire for my life. I don't see the need to get that carried away with it. I think you've got to have balance. We come up with all of these rationalizations that, that explain our apathy. But in the end, that, that's all that it is. We just don't care. Apathy, certainly a temptation. But then there's a final response, and that is brokenness, repentance, and obedience. And the example that best demonstrates this comes from Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. The disciples are gathered in the upper room praying, waiting on the promise of the Father to come and endue them with power from on high. As they wait, the Holy Spirit comes and they begin to preach the gospel. And at the end of the message, the people say this to Peter. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Again, the conviction. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? I love their response. What do we need to do? Now, they understood that their lives were not lined up with God. 
They understood that they were out of balance and they were out of whack with the, the way God wanted them to live. And their response is, what changes do I need to make? I, I want to know, what is it that needs to be done? And the implication is, I'm going to do it. Uh, they were willing to do whatever God wanted them to do. Uh, there were no stipulations. There was no, no conditions. What do I need to do? And then I'm going to do it. Their hearts were open to the Word of God. They were surrendered to the Spirit of God. They had every intention of cooperating with a transformation that Jesus wanted to make in their lives. How do we respond? And again, I like this. What shall I do? When we read the Bible and we see that our lives aren't lined up with Scripture, what is our response? Is it anger? Is it apathy? Or is it just, what do I need to do? If we are ever going to become who Jesus wants us to be, we have to do more than hear or read the Bible. We have to cooperate with the transformation process and do what Jesus wants us to do. Make the changes He wants us to make. James warns us to be a doer of the Word and not a hearer only. And make no mistake, anger and rebellion, that is a hearer only. Apathy is a hearer only. Only brokenness, repentance, and obedience is a doer of the Word. The only time we are doers of the Word is when we are, well, doing the Word. When the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to show us things that need to be changed, we become doers of the Word only as we make those changes. Unless you're here today and you can say, I am just like Jesus. And there is work to be done. And Jesus is doing that work in your life. He is calling you to make changes. He is calling you to be different. The question is, how will I respond? Will I respond in anger? Will I respond in apathy? Will I respond in obedience and cooperate the transformative work of Jesus in my life? And then the final way we respond to the call of Jesus is to embrace the mission of Jesus. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. As they follow him, they will go from fishing for people to fish or fishing for fish to fishing for people. Jesus was telling them he was going to equip them, change them, and send them out on a mission to make disciples of all nations. This wasn't now, it was going to be in years to come. They would spend Three years or so with Jesus, learning from Him. They would watch Him die upon the cross and then rise from the grave. And, and after His resurrection, most of His earthly words dealt with this mission. The most famous is Matthew. All authority 
It's been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. It's important for us to understand that the Great Commission is the responsibility of each and every Christian. But there is no nebulous entity called the church that goes and makes disciples of all nations. The church are the people that make up the church. If we are a Great Commission church that make disciples of all nations, it is because we as individuals are people who are Great Commission people that work to make disciples of all nations. Every follower of Jesus Christ has a responsibility to do what they can to reach others. Now, one thing I like about the Great Commission is Matthew said he says go. In most of my life, I have heard the emphasis on go. Go and knock doors. Go and walk up to people on the street. Go and talk. And the emphasis, the primary command was go and everything else was just sort of details. And I read something a few years ago that said the go wasn't the primary command. The primary command was make disciples. And that in fact the go part could be translated as as you are going. And he said the command in the text is not to go. Christ assumes that the disciples understood that reaching the world was not for the sedentary. Therefore, as you are going through life, whether you travel or live a social or localized life, this work is there for you to do. Now, I like that because that's really what you see in the book of Acts, isn't it? I mean, they didn't meet at the church on a Thursday night and then go out and knock doors, did they? They went through their lives. They went to the temple to pray and on the way they healed somebody. Crowd gathered, Peter told them about Jesus. But all throughout Scripture, in the Gospels, even Jesus' life, that's what He did. He went through life, and when opportunities arose, He took it. And, and so this isn't like we schedule a time, and, and on Thursday night or Saturday morning, we all gather at the church, and we go out and we knock doors. What this means is as we go through our lives, our everyday, ordinary lives, we go to work, we go to hobbies, we go to our restaurants, we go to Walmart. As we go through our lives and opportunities arise for us to to tell people about Jesus, to do the, the work of making disciples, we take advantage of that opportunity. Well, that's a whole lot easier than the idea of, of just going. Because as we go through our lives, it will be amazing at how many opportunities there are if we're just open to it, if we're just looking for it. I'm reminded of a story a pastor told about being at the beach on a holiday. And his brother-in-law told the kids he was going to take them out looking for shark teeth. And the guy that was telling the story said he was kind of angry at his brother-in-law because he had been on the beach and he hadn't seen any shark teeth. He was setting his kids up for failure. They were going to be disappointed by what they didn't find. So they came back that afternoon, and they all had several. They had found them. They were there. And he said what he learned was the difference between him and his kids. His kids were looking for the shark teeth, and that's why they saw them. We may think there are no opportunities to talk to people about Jesus, but is it because there are none or because we just aren't looking? I like what the Apostle Paul said, live wisely, 
among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. You know, part of what it means to live wisely is to be on the lookout. Look for opportunities for the conversation to go to spiritual things. You'd be amazed at how many times during your week people mention things that can be taken and you can go naturally, not, not a forced conversation, but can go naturally to spiritual things. Naturally to inviting them to church. Naturally to asking them about Jesus and what they believe about who He is and what He's done. Live wisely and then make the most of every opportunity. These opportunities will come in any number of ways. They will come. I think they will come every week at the very least if we just look. The opportunities are there if we would have our eyes to see them. If we are going to follow Jesus, we have to embrace the mission of Jesus. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Those that are saved are commissioned to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus has saved us. Jesus has changed us. And we need to be about His mission. That is a part of what it means to answer the call of Jesus. Now, at this point, Jesus, these people He's calling, they have a decision to make. They can keep on fishing, or they can go on and they can follow Jesus. The characteristic of the teaching of Jesus is that it always brings us to a place of a response. There's very little that Jesus ever taught that was meant to pass on information only. Everything Jesus said and everything Jesus did brought those that heard it and saw it to a place where they had to make a decision. They had to believe that He was the Christ, the Son of the living God. They had to adjust their lives according to what He was saying. But a decision needed to be made. So that's where we are as well. The words of Jesus this morning have brought us to a place where we must choose. And make no mistake, we we all choose. We choose to answer His call or we choose to reject His call. There, there, is, there is no in-between. We don't get to be neutral. We don't get to ride the fence. We choose to surrender to Jesus or to reject Jesus. Those that really... And that sounds harsh, I guess, but it's all that there is. Jesus said, he who is not with me is what? Against me. There's no in between. This morning, the decision we have to make, are we with him or are we against him? Are we going to intentionally and decisively answer his call and begin to follow him? Are we going to intentionally and decisively answer his call and cooperate with the change he wants to make in our lives? Are we going to intentionally and decisively embrace the mission that Jesus has given us? Or are we going to stay at our nets and reject the call of Jesus? 
This morning, whatever decision is made in your life, you are the one that will make it. At this point, I'm going to call the musicians to come forward. Ask everyone to stand. And right now, I'm going to, in just a minute, I'm going to pray.